You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. This is one of your hosts, Susan Lewis-Simmons, with the unsupervised last episode, (laughs) who obviously needed adult supervision because the producer and I were not here. Uh, So y'all forgive us for that episode. I hadn't heard it yet. Chris and I had fun. Yeah, and it's not Ferrara, although he was probably in here (laughs) screwing around with things like he normally does. Uh, Don't be surprised, Adam, if lights fall and and electricity goes out or the board shuts off because Ferrara gets his hand in here periodically. I'm not surprised. (laughs) So the co-host today, what are you calling yourself today? Um, I don't know. You're supposed to come up with the name. But you came up with something last time. I said Motor Tom. Motor Tom, please. (laughs) His boots are in the bathroom here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Retired Motor Tom. There you go. Maybe I'll just be retired Tom. Toilet Tom. Toilet, Toilet Tom. Tom. That works. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's his office. Yeah. The traffic bureau is in the restroom here at Under the Shield. Tom's doing. I just want you to know. But did you have fun without me last week? I Yes, I did. Yeah. It, it was different not I, having you here. Mm-hmm. And I did use our board. my handy-dandy cheat sheet whiteboard that Joelle and Becky created for me. Does it still have that obnoxious it, it Go does. Buckeyes it on there? It does say Go losers. Buckeyes, but it is crossed out. Okay. But that means Chris Broadley, who was with me on the last week's po- or this week's podcast, I guess whatever. Whenever it comes say, out, yeah, yeah, that just dropped last night or today. I don't know. When did who it come knows? out? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Okay. Um, he saw that go Buckeyes, and he's like, "Who the hell put that See, on there?" Chris has at least good taste to know we don't need that. He didn't in say here. Roll Tide though. Well, but he didn't say go Buckeyes either. So I explained that we did that for Ryan. Yeah, and it just hasn't we come try out. to humor our board members <laughs> if we have to. Still a roll, roll tide show here, though. We're five and zero now, I believe. Four and zero, five and zero. I don't know. We've got no losses. Exactly. No matter how you look at it, there's no losses. And that's with our backup quarterback. <laughs> so what can I say? Nick's got him deep in the quarterback area. I know. I went over Pretty to your good. house last Saturday, yeah, and, and I you're told like, you if they start losing, you got to go. Yeah, they're up fourteen nothing. If they start losing, you're gone. Yeah, they started scoring. <laughs> the other team, Arkansas, actually started scoring. I said, get out, leave. You got to go. You got to go. Seriously, we're very superstitious at our house. Yeah, she's passionate. Let's I say that. I believe it. My dog has an Alabama bandana on and a hound's tooth collar. Looks good on the German Shepherd. Yeah. She's very proud. She sits and watches the game, and if we're losing, she gets in a different position. <laughs> she, she she just knows. feels the vibe from she Susan. Knows. Sometimes like, she goes out on the back porch. <laughs> she's like, I don't want no part of this. <laughs> probably has something she's to do with me crazy. yelling and screaming. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with losing because, you know what, when anybody else gets 16 national championships, then we'll talk. So, Georgia, you got two? Okay. It won't happen in my lifetime, but, you know. Talk about fighting progress. Yeah. Holy cow, I'm about to go down in here. Well, everybody's got to have a goal and, and to beat Alabama's record. Come on, bring it on. Everybody's got yeah, a dream. That is reaching high. And huh? haters are going to hate. It's all good. We don't mind. So, if y'all want to give me hell, if and, if and when they lose, I'm good with that. We've lost before. 
My team actually beat them one time years ago. They were undefeated, and South Carolina beat them. Wow. Yeah, that was an interesting one. <laughs> but anyway, we'll see how it goes this week. So we have a guest with us who actually flew in just for this I'm, podcast. Right? That's our story. Yeah, that's, that's our, story. our story. So what if he has a daughter here? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's true. I Yeah, it was – you know – Obviously, we're going to get into it. Uh, it. To me, it was something I wanted to do in person. We I felt like it. it needed to be in person. Yep. Um, so, yeah. We, it's, also, it's I have a daughter fun. here. Yeah. So. It is. And we wanted you to see the Under the Shield office and right. yeah. all of your fellow co-workers things here. Yeah. It, this office is it's amazing. Yeah, we're, yeah. You guys got a great place. Yeah. We're excited about it. We really yeah. got lucky on this one. Ferrara was sleeping and. Didn't, yeah, and didn't we slipped it in. <laughs> yeah, he likes to make my life difficult where he can. Keeps it challenging. But anyway, tell us about yourself, Adam. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Emporia, Kansas. Um, I I don't know, pretty normal childhood. Um, I in high school I'm just going to jump to high school because sure. everything before that was pretty normal you don't want to talk about how your mother didn't breastfeed you long <laughs> yeah, enough right. and, and all the stuff suck that my gets thumb you, too long <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that gets you on the couch which is actually a true story I think I did suck my thumb way longer than a human being supposed to <laughs> most uh, cops probably did yeah right <laughs> got to do something to keep our mind busy absolutely so, and out of trouble yeah I might still suck it <laughs> Gonna admit that, though. guys. This is a family show. <laughs> Since when? <laughs> we digress <laughs> quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, grew up in Emporia, Kansas. Uh, you know, when I got in high school, I was a freshman. I was dating a girl. Uh, wow. Thought I was in love. You know how that goes. Absolutely. She was a junior. I was a freshman. And uh, older women. Uh-huh. Yeah. She, we had a, we were going to, or she was supposed to pick me up on a Friday night to go to a basketball game, and uh, she never showed up. And long story short, uh, the next morning I got a call that she'd been murdered by a guy. Oh, wow. And someone you knew? Oh, no, I didn't know him. No, I didn't know him. He was a uh, college kid. So that kind of set things on a path for me that weren't good i was always in trouble partying a lot doing all those kinds of things and um i was getting ready to start my junior year in high school and they're like man we got to do something with this kid you know he's going the wrong direction so they were trying to get me to go to the votech college Mm -hmm. you know mechanic or welding or or something and and they gave me the list of classes that they had there and uh, one of them was an emt class cool and i said i want to do that and well, they're like, no, because that's Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursday nights. You'll still have to go to high school all day. Like, we want you to come to high school in the mornings, leave at noon, and then, you know. Go so we don't have to deal with you in the <laughs> afternoon. <Yeah. laughs> but I would have wanted him occupied at night if he was headed to trouble. Uh, right. Yeah, so yeah. I'd have had you in school all day and all night. <laughs> right. So yeah. I should have been involved. But. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> but so I was hell bent on the EMT thing, and it, we kind of actually just dropped it because they weren't signing. No one would, would agree with me, and I don't know at what point they decided to let me go, and ended up. It was the first time I had all A's and loved what I was doing. Wow. Uh, I, one of the guys uh, that was in the class with me was starting a private ambulance service, cool. so uh, went through the class with him. Uh, it was 
basically finished the end of my junior year, like in April, and in May I turned eighteen. Uh, that's so the I magic couldn't even, number. Couldn't even get. I could go to the class, but I couldn't get certified till my eighteenth birthday. So I went to. The, I took the boards, passed, and then on my eighteenth birthday they sent me, you know, my certification, and I started working on the ambulance. Wow! And I did that my senior year in high school. Uh, one of the stipulations was if I started slacking in school, you know, because I would go out at, you know, two or three in the morning on sure. a school night if we had a call. And, you know, obviously if I started getting bad grades, they were going to yank me out of that. So, <laughs> but it was good because I didn't want to get yanked out of it. Sure. And Kept you motivated to yeah, stay. Yeah, I took yeah, it to serious. School. Um, but it was, it was wild, you know, I was like 17 and a half years old. And we had to do ride-alongs at the fire department. Uh-huh. Well, my very first call at the fire department, I don't think I was there an hour, was a fatal accident. Oh, boy. And looking back on it, it's crazy to me that at 17 and a half years old, I'm on the side of this highway, and we've got one fatal and one that's almost fatal. It was a mom and a daughter. The daughter was 18, so she was almost basically my age. And... My dad had a scanner so he could hear what I, the call that I was on. And when I came home, I could tell he was like, what, what's, what is he going to be like? And uh, No first responders in your family anywhere? Cops. My dad was a uh, reserve officer oh, okay. for a few years. But, uh, yeah, I came in and, I mean, I, it, I handled it well. It didn't bother me. It was a good test because, you know, there are people that go through that whole right. class and then get a call. And, and then they're it. like, Wow, this is real. Yeah, you never seen it again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So from there, I, I worked on the ambulance. I uh, got on the fire department there in Emporia. I was a volunteer there. Volunteered there forever. Um, then I started working in the jail. Um, Here's my question, yeah. though. Why volunteer? Could you not – were you not old enough to be hired in a paid position, or they didn't have those there? Or? Yeah, they, they did, but at that time – Man, there was no turnover. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then w- when they finally had an opening, um, I had already been at the sheriff's department a while and had my kind of heels dug in on being a deputy. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, that's what I ended up doing. Um, I applied for a job in Atchison, Kansas, and uh, a deputy position, and they hired me right away. And that's, that's where it all started for me. How long did you have to do in the jail? Well, I was in there three years. And that was a requirement to get to the road? No, um, but I was 18. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the ambulance and the jail, and you, you had to be 21 to be a deputy. So, Because yeah, yeah. there were parts of Alabama at one time that at 19 you could get your concealed carry yeah. permit and you could actually work in law enforcement. Oh, yeah, not, not in Kansas. It was like that here, too. You, did, you didn't have to get a concealed carry, but... You could work, you could be hired, carry a gun, everything at 19 here. Yeah, the scary part is all these agencies. I was talking to somebody the other day about how I remember in Alabama them talking about you could work on the road for a year before you had to go to the academy. Yeah, right. And I thought, Isn't that crazy? Ooh, think all the people's rights you violate <laughs> a year. That, that might be a fun year. That might be the way to do it, actually. Oh, no, I don't want to go to the academy. I've had my fun. Yeah, just give me a year. <laughs> exactly. And I'll quit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I actually went to Atchison, Kansas, uh, and worked there for two and a half years. And then I always just wanted to be a deputy in Emporia or Lyon County. 
And um, so once they had a position open up, I reapplied back at the sheriff's department where I worked in the jail. They hired me as a deputy there. And I did that for two and a half years. And then ultimately ended up getting a divorce. And I had always wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Like so bad. And we were always working with helicopters, especially out in the county. We would need something. So I started looking at, once I got divorced, at flight schools. And there was one here in Chandler that was considered one of the best in the nation or top three. And so I applied with uh, Chandler PD. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll get hired there, hopefully, and then I'll go to flight school. And they hired me. What company was that flight school with? Uh, Quantum. Quantum Air. Yeah. Is that at the Chandler Airport? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they were at the Chandler Airport. I feel like they were in Mesa when I first moved here in 06. Maybe I'm wrong. But, yes, they're at Chandler Airport now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, I've met the owner before, Neil. He, yeah. He used to be a client of my wife's when she was at the bank. No, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Neil's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that I wanted to be a pilot because that's ultimately – that's the reason I came out here. And once I started with Chandler PD – the job was just so much. I mean, back home working in, the, I was going on calls for a cow out on the highway. You know? <laughs> I'm not saying we wouldn't get some good ones once right. in a while, but it was man. I I came to Chandler and said, "What in the world?" You know, <laughs> you know, even having a computer was crazy to me. We didn't have computers in our car. Um, Were you on the bull call? Since you had dealt with cows in the county, county, I understand there was a bull call at Chandler. There was. I wasn't on that. Yeah. Yeah. I passed by. I was going in that night to, to go to the station, and I was hearing the call, and I'm like, yeah, this just doesn't sound like anything I need to be part See, of. See, Adam should have been the resident <laughs> right? expert on cows. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story. Back to Atchison, there was a guy that raised buffalo there. Wow. And one got out. Ooh. And I didn't know anything about buffalo, but they can run up to 30 miles an hour. <laughs> so, and he said, once you find it, you're not going to corral it like you can a cow. You guys are going to have to shoot it. Oh, and it was getting out on the highway. Like we kept, we'd get calls. Hey, there's a buffalo on the highway. And by the time we get there, it'd be gone. You know, it'd be like two in the morning. We can't He's find playing it. hide and seek. I with mean, you guys. for real. And I think it went on like three or four days. Wow. Oh, jeez. And, and finally, uh, we had it spotted during the day, and we called uh, the Kansas High Patrol. They sent their helicopter out <laughs> to follow it till we could. And so my one buddy that was a deputy, he grew up. His dad's a farmer. This Eric is a total farmer. Becomes a deputy. Uh, well, he had a rifle We that he because he needed something big to take this thing down. And we ended up, Eric shot it and then went back. I mean, we're talking, this is so Kansas. Goes back, gets his tr- farm truck and the trailer, <laughs> comes back with a tractor. They pick this thing up. Put we it had on a barbecue tra- the next week. Well, the guy that owned them said, said hey, I, he goes, I don't want to be sued. If somebody hits this thing. Sure. So you guys get it. You harvest it. It's yours. I wow. That's crazy. And we did. We it's harvested it. Yeah, we had a boatload of meat. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm having visions, though, of – I know how y'all were, especially back in those days, of patrol cars clocking <laughs> – this buffalo running down oh, the interstate, yeah. one on each side, yeah. <laughs> trying they to figure really it out. Got on miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> or the radar gun yeah, or that's something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Get them going. I'll see how fast you yeah. can run. Well, I always said my most important tool on my duty belt was a pair of pliers. I mean, we were always fixing fence. You know, we'd get the cows back in where they got out, and then we'd mend the fence for the farmer until he could get to it the next day. 
Yeah, it was wild. That's crazy. Yeah, wild. But so back to Chandler and helicopter <laughs> yeah, flying. So I get here. Uh, the job's amazing. Uh, what year was that? 06. Okay. Um, flight school was, I mean, to get certified is 100000 I was going to have to borrow $100,000. Plus, when you graduate, you have 250 flight hours. we got to have, like, at least 1200 before anybody sure. will right. employ you. Um, so I just, because I was happy with the job again being a police officer i just said man i'm not gonna go in debt yeah you know, like that and you're probably not gonna make a whole lot of money anyway i'm like i'll be paying that forever sure and uh so i just yeah i stayed and just kept doing the cop thing and i worked the streets pretty much my entire career i did go through um the hostage negotiation training with the fbi uh, did a bunch of stuff but uh my last two years i was an sro at one of the schools so. And your favorite officer to work with, since we talked to her earlier, and you're supposed to sing her praises. <laughs> oh, God. Old Sherry. <laughs> she was the best. She, you were the best, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, did you do the hostage negotiation training that I did? Did you ever sit through my training with the national? No, okay. it wasn't with you. It was with the FBI, though. No, I'm talking about the, the association afterwards when I got out here. I did oh, a training no. for the National yeah, Association. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. no, I didn't. He so. should have been there, but whatever. Slacker. I know. Yeah, exactly. right. Chicken. But yeah, I mean, I had I had a great career. It was just pounding the pavement every day. Now, was SRO something you wanted to yeah. do? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, I was very excited to go work with the kids, especially with Chandler because – you know they have such a sweet program they take these we, we take the kids four times a year on these camping trips mm-hmm. and we really get to know the kids at the school and we'd pick one male one female and we, we would take them on these trips with us and I, it was very benefit i mean i i know it changed some of those kids sure yeah, yeah it's good sure. yeah. do you work with explorers at all uh i would go help if they needed it but i was never really like one of the guys that worked with them day in and day out. So you left Chandler when? And you retired? Yeah, I re- uh, medically retired in 2017. Okay. Yeah. And how was that experience? So, you know, it was fun. Uh, I had I had fallen um, and fractured my lower spine, mm-hmm. which required a fusion of my L5-S1. And it should have been a surgery that they did, and I'd be fine and back to work. Um, after surgery, just for months, I couldn't hardly stand the pain. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if no one believed me or they thought I was chasing pain pills, but I was really in pain. Sure. Uh, and it was literal. I had the surgery August 2016. In August 2017, they did a revision. So I spent this year complaining of pain. Finally went and saw another surgeon, Dr. Doring, who was absolutely amazing. And he did an MRI. Well, the first surgeon had put in screws that were too long. Oh, jeez. So they actually came out the back of the spine and had gone into my nerves and wrapped my nerves around the ends of these screws. Wow. And then the hardware, like they put a a metal cage in there. It was too small. He basically said when he opened me up, it like almost fell out. 
Wow. Jeez. Uh, so and this was an on-the-job injury. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a relief to finally, I don't know, prove that I wasn't chasing these pain pills. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it had done its damage. I mean, I couldn't feel hardly any of my left leg or my left foot. Um, I was walking with a cane for a while. Um, and like, I really had to learn how to to walk, how to balance. I mean, at night, this is crazy. If your feet work normally, you don't realize this, but they are so important to how you balance. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, sight is also part of your balance. Yep. You don't think about it. But when the lights go out, if it's dark at night, I'll fall over. Sure. Because I can't, I can't tell that I'm going off balance because I can't feel that foot. Well, it's just like pilots. <laughs> if they don't have instrument ratings and it's pitch black dark, right. they don't know if they're flying upside down, exactly. flying down, flying up. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine it being that way, yeah. but it is. Yeah. So just to back up, from the day of the injury is kind of when things – I mean, really just started to go south. Um, you know, I, I got on the pain pills, r- rightfully so. But the problem is once you're on them for a, a year, mm-hmm. you're addicted to them. And I don't mean addicted like I wasn't at home taking more than I was supposed to or crushing them up. Right. It's just once I finally got things fixed and wanted to get off of them, I would get sick. Yep. So, in fact, Man. I wasn't even taking the prescribed amount. I was taking less. Wow. Um, and still, I couldn't get off of them. Um, yeah, people always think that, that it's people who get them legitimately, but they always increase them and right. wind up taking more than what they're prescribed, and that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. So um, then they started me on a me- medication called gabapentin, mm-hmm. and I knew nothing about it at all. I, you know, I just trusted what they said. It's supposed to help with nerve pain. And it's a nasty. There are a lot, you know, cocaine will help with nerve pain too, exactly. but yeah. it's not necessarily something you need to use. Right, yeah. yeah, but the gabapentin's nasty, yep. nasty. Like it's making people homicidal, yes. suicidal, violent, angry. I mean, you name it. Uh, so I started. I think I was really closed off, um, depressed, uh, just not present with my family which ultimately pushed my wife away um were you going to work at all light duty or anything okay no none um and ultimately pushed her away and she started having an affair with her boss at work Mm -hmm. so once i found out about that i was already angry and mad and then that happened. I mean, it was so depressing to have to retire. Sure. Like, because you had how many years on at that point? Uh, what was I 14 years right. with Chandler, not counting the other years back home. Right. Sure. Um, I, I'd always, <clears throat> I'd always dreamed of retiring young, but not that young. Right. And so, not in that way. And not in that way. Right. Well, that's the thing. Nobody talks about retirement because of an injury whether it's that you get shot whether you you know break your leg hurt your shoulder whatever nobody thinks y'all think you're invincible yeah well and that was the other thing about my injury was the dumbest injury like it was there wasn't even a cool story behind it (laughs) i was at the school uh and uh, during lunch the kids would play basketball Mm -hmm. and one of the balls went up on the roof 
So our security officer would always go up there, throw them back down. So I go up this fire ladder, open the fire hatch, get the ball, throw it down. I'm coming back down through the fire hatch. And those doors are heavy. I don't know if you ever opened one, but they weigh a ton. Mm -hmm. Well, the hinge or something was messed up on it. And I'm yanking on it hard, trying to get it to, you know, close. And finally, it breaks loose. And that's the last thing I remember. Oh, jeez. And I wake up. I'm on the floor in a dark closet. My radio was gone. It had fallen off somewhere. I was able to get to my phone and, and call and say, hey, I'm on the floor and I can't move. So that was like, that bothered me too. Like, I'm like, this is the dumbest way. Like, I can remember my wife going, oh man, I'm so glad you're going to be an SRO. You know, yeah. like, you'll be yeah, safe. You'll right. be safe. Yeah. No, not Adam. He falls off a damn ladder. Like, well, who does that? Here's the moral to the story if you're law enforcement out there and you got to do anything that has fire in the title, fire ladder, fire hatch. Yeah, call the hose draggers and let them do let it. Let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Stop trying to play firefighter on the yeah. side. That's here. a fact. <laughs> let them save the cat. The sad part was I had fire training. Sad part was I had fire training. <laughs> you never admit that. Yeah. So, yeah, ultimately I, I, I drove my wife away. and um, how? When did you start taking the gabapentin? Um, so let's see, surgery was August, 2016. So I probably started taking it towards a little bit before August, 2018, when they finally realized, Hey, he's got an issue. So So they're giving you that to try to give you some additional relief then. Yeah. 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 Um, so then, um, one night, uh, well, so her boss filed an order of protection against me because um, I'd called his boss at work to let them know what was going on. But it, there was no threats, no anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they have it all recorded. So You're, you're a little intimidating in size, though. <laughs> I, you you don't have to say a whole lot, Adam. <laughs> yeah. You just walk in a room and smile and people go, oh, that might not be good. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, he filed the order of protection. I went in to fight it because I had not threatened him or anything like that. And the short, the short story is the judge upheld it, but he on the order of protection put that I had guns and mm-hmm. he wanted them to be taken away, and, and the judge took them. Did he really? Yeah, I lost him for a year. Wow. Um, so what happened in the job realm for that year? You're off on medical during that year? Yeah, I kind of got ahead. I had retired by this point. Okay. Yeah, I had by, retired by this point. Um because this would have been May 2019 when okay. this went down. Maybe 18. 20, yeah, May 2018. May 2018. So that sent me in a spiral. Like, I was just spiral. Everything would happen. It would spiral. Um, the day that uh, I called their work, they fabricated a story that I was going to come up there with guns and shoot everybody. <laughs> Which, again, everything's recorded. So that, like, they knew that wasn't said. Sure. Uh, Chandler comes over to my house. And that was the other shitty part was, like, it's my department coming over to see me. As you worked with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting on the couch. (laughs) And he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. What's, you know, what's going on? (laughs) Good to see you. (laughs) We got a call from your wife's work that you're going to come up there with some guns. I'm like, I never said that. 
I mean, I was smart enough. Even when I called up there, I was smart enough to know not to make any threats. Not even a... Even if you wanted to threaten them, you still are smart enough to know what to say and what not to say. Yeah, like... Well, and I'm sorry, but if a cop really wants to do something, he ain't going to call you ahead exactly. of time. Exactly, yeah. He's just going to show up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not giving you a warning. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I talked to him. He was like, yeah, there's nothing here. He cleared the call. Um, we go on about our business. Um, but that really, like, they were... What they were trying to do was build a story that they weren't having a fair at work to save their jobs, which I, whatever, I get it. Sure. But it was at my expense. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, it just, it just ate me alive. And so then one night, or no, when I was at court mm-hmm. fighting the order of protection, my wife moved out. So I come home and they're all gone. Gone. Yeah, gone, gone. God, that's an empty feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was terrible, and it was terrible because I knew once I got home and they were gone, that he was talking to her, letting her know, hey, all right, we're in court. Okay, court's over. Yep. Make sure you're out. Like they were just doing all the shady stuff behind my back. And now look, I mean, I I, I drove her to this point. I'm not, sure. I wasn't innocent in this, um, but it just added to my depression, right, and made me angry, and then. Uh, one night she came over and we had an altercation at the house. I threatened her. I pushed her. And uh, she ended up spending the night. Next morning, she called uh, a counselor that we'd been seeing together. And then she called the counselor called the police to report that. Is that why she called the counselor, knowing the counselor would call the police? Or she I don't didn't know. know. She's never really said that. Uh, I think she was just worried about me. She could tell that I was depressed and, and suicidal. Like, I was completely suicidal sure. by that point. Um, still abusing pills, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was still on the pills and on high doses of the gabapentin. Mm-hmm. So... The next morning, like I said, she called the counselor. The counselor told her to tell me, if you go to rehab, I'll, I'll move home. This is the advice she gave her. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Wow. So I'm like, all right. So I went straight over to Valley Hope and checked myself in. Oh, boy. Um, I was in there. For maybe a week and I just couldn't focus I'm like what where's my wife where's my son like what are they doing and so I check myself out and just tried to communicate with her I was trying to save this marriage you know um, I knew I'd messed up I knew probably gonna be arrested I was kind of waiting on that and it just like it wasn't coming but I knew it was it was going to come. Right. You don't get away with it. Had you even detoxed off the drugs in that week that you were there? So, yeah, because it was interesting. Like, they put me on Suboxone uh-huh. for three days, and, I mean, it really did work. Yeah. So I really didn't have much of a detox. But I got home, and because of – oh, they also put me on an antidepressant mm-hmm. when I got there. Do you know which one? Do you remember? I think it was Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin, yeah. Uh, which causes suicidal thoughts and ideations, which I already had from the gabapentin. <laughs> Good plan. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, the, like I said, it makes you violent. Like, I pushed my wife 
Did they give you the Suboxone to take home with you also? No, no, you only got it for three days. Because usually people get hooked on the Suboxone. They just switch the drug. Yeah. So I had done things that like, were just unimaginable that were not me. I mean, right. I would never do that. Right. Um, and I was just, I was falling apart. I hated myself for what I had done to her. Um, I scared the shit out of her. Sure. And, um, man. That's tough. Yeah. I can't take that back, you know. So um, it was, uh, I think it was Sunday night and. Nothing was going my way, so I started drinking that night. And um, did you go back to pills too? Did yeah, you I was still on have? Pills. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, then I was taking them. Well, however, I, you wanted to take them. Just pounding them. Sure. Because um, I, I had bottles of them. Because like I said, I always took less than what was prescribed, but I'd always fill my prescription. Mm-hmm. So I had probably thousands of pills. Wow. <laughs> I mean, morphine. Sure. Oxy's. Hydrocodone, Percocet. Yeah, had it all. Sure. Um, and so I was, I was drunk. I got really, really drunk, and I guess I started posting things on Facebook mm-hmm. about being suicidal. So I was up all night, mm-hmm. and at eight o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from the Chandler Police Department. <laughs> I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm sitting on my couch." They're like, "Can you come outside?" So I go outside. Well, they were they were out there waiting to take me into custody to one for the charge, but more to take me to the psych hospital. The charge of domestic violence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So assault and threatening her, and so they took me down to the police department. They booked me. I mean, you can imagine what. I mean, one of my best friends and partners at the PD put mm-hmm. the handcuffs on me. Wow. Wasn't easy for them either, no. I'm sure. No. In fact, I just talked to him recently, and um, we'll get in. I, I'll, go, I'll go to that later okay. and tell you kind of how that went down. But uh, they took me to the jail, or, yeah, down to the Chandler PD. They did all the booking stuff, fingerprinting. Then they immediately transported me to the psych hospital in Mesa. I forget what it's called. You guys recall? Yeah, I don't remember not sure which one's yeah, there. Yeah, doesn't matter. I end up in the psych hospital. Well, by the time I get to talk to whoever there, I had sobered up. Because I probably was there for eight hours mm-hmm. sitting in this recliner, just waiting on someone to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they call me back, and she's like, tell me what's going on. I'm like, oh, I was just, I got drunk, said some stuff I shouldn't have said. Are you suicidal? No, I'm not suicidal. You know, Were I, you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was going to... I, I want to make that point. I was going to walk out the front door <laughs> and do it. If sure. I had a gun with me, I would have done it sure. r- probably right outside the front door of that psych hospital. Sure. Um, but long story short, she... You know, I, I played the game. You yeah. know, I listened to a pod, one of your guys' podcast. I think it was with, with uh, Chris Farrar. Yeah. You know, he knew what to say. He yes. knew how to play the game. Mm-hmm. That's it. And... Uh, that really hit home listening to that podcast because I was the same way. Sure. You're a little psychologist. Uh, you know, this is what we were making the point <laughs> with Brady Wilson last week. Yeah. That y- y'all are psychologists whose lives depend on reading people. Yeah. So you're very in tune to yeah. body positions, yeah. facial expressions, everything. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, not, not funny, but they took my guns, right? So I didn't have those. Right. But I, 
another podcast I listened to with you guys talking. Uh, we I don't you don't need a gun to kill yourself. No, like but I bet you could have right. gotten one. Oh yeah, easily. you knew people with yeah. guns. Hey, I want to buy one like what you've got. Can I borrow it and take yeah. it to the range and shoot yeah. it? Yeah, sure. Well. I went to the range mm-hmm. and checked out a gun and uh, sat there for 20 minutes shooting down range. Mm-hmm. And I was going to kill myself at the range. I've never told anybody that. At the Chandler range or a range, a public no, range? a public range. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And um, long story short, I didn't have the balls to do it. So, no, you had a bigger purpose, to be honest with you. It's just like when Chris didn't want to jump off the overpass in front of an 18-wheeler. Yeah. Uh, you you had probably other reasons that you really didn't want to do it, at least there. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home. I think I was home 24 hours. I was literally in – I was just circling around the drain in sure. my brain. And it was, it's so weird. This one, Okay, so – I was suicidal, but I didn't want to do it. Right. You wanted the pain to end. Yeah, I'd lost. To me, I'd lost everything. Everything, mm-hmm. yeah. When I came home and they were gone, yeah. it was like getting a phone call that they'd been killed in a car accident. Yes. Like, to me, it was gone. Yeah. And you remember Chris talking about that, too? Yeah. The empty house. Yeah. And my daughter was, you know, living with my ex-wife, and I, you know, only saw her half the time. And I just feel, I felt like it was just pointless. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I think it was 24 or 48 hours later, it was a Sunday, went over to a birthday party at um, my daughter's house. Well, it's her mom's house. There was some birthday party or something going on. I wasn't even, I was there, but I wasn't present. I'm like, I'm going to go home tonight and do it. So, yeah. Let me ask you this. So the psych hospital believed you that you weren't suicidal. Mm -hmm. So how long were you even there? Oh, not even 24 hours, I don't think. So they believed you and cut you loose. (laughs) Yeah. And within 24, 48 hours of being out, you know. Sure. So I, yeah, left the party. I went home and. It, it is so bizarre what your mind does. Yes. I had taken all the pictures of my family, laid them out on the bed, mm-hmm. and then just started taking pills. And then, you know, laid down on the bed to die. Sure. So, you know, I would taken pain pills. I had taken Benadryl, and full bottle of Ambien. Oh, gosh. Um, full bottle it. of um, oh, what's the darn allergy? The pink one there you can buy over the counter. Everybody takes for allergies. Uh, pink? Yeah, it's uh, Allegra. No, oh, I think it was Claritin, Zyrtec, but Benadryl. Not, Benadryl, yes. A whole bottle of Benadryl. I'd bet money all that would have worked for you, buddy. Yeah. Well, it should have. Uh, well, it did, I guess. They brought me back is the long and short of it. Um, you know, I laid down in bed. That's the last thing. I mean, I remember taking the pills, but that's it. So, you know, you know, you take one Ambien, you don't remember anything. For days? <laughs> yeah, you take a whole bottle. I didn't know what the hell happened. So, 
the next morning I was supposed to fly back to Kansas City to be with my family because they knew like this dude's not doing good we got to get him back here well I didn't show up for my flight so my sister she called um I don't even know who she called but they might have been even my ex-wife might even been my current wife I don't know but they called my friend uh Jamie who was a retired Mesa police officer and they were like, hey, can you go by the house and check on him? So he gets to the house. Um, he gets to the, my bedroom door, and it's locked. So it was my wife because he was on the phone with her, and he's like, hey, the door's, the bedroom door's locked. She's like, oh, shit, because we never locked the bedroom door. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember locking it. But um, So he kicked the door in, and he found me on the bathroom floor. So at some point, I must have gotten up, and I was laying on my – because, you know, people listening aren't seeing this. But I imagine sitting on your butt, leaning back with your back against the sink or the cabinets of the, the sink. But I was kind of more rolled onto my left side. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you that for a reason because it will come up later. Um, and I think he thought I was dead. I think I pretty much well, – I mean, I had a pulse with barely. Right. It was barely breathing. Um you know, obviously you call the ambulance. They hit me with uh, Narcan. I think they did like three rounds of Narcan, which wow. didn't do anything. Right. Uh, and they had to intubate me on scene because I wasn't breathing. Um, and they transported me to Gilbert Mercy. And once I got there, they're like, Ugh, this dude ain't going to make it. My kidneys were shutting down, liver, everything. Sure. So they transported me to a hospital in Phoenix who I guess just are able to deal with my situation better. And uh, I was in that coma for days. And eventually, you know, the sad part, too, is like, you know, they had to call my brother and sister. Um, They're in Kansas. So the only family you had here was ex-wife and kids. Yeah. Okay. So my parents were in Aruba. And uh, I'm sure that call sucked. Don't you know it? So, you know, I pulled through and um, I was, uh, when I woke up, I couldn't walk. Wow. I don't, I had a crush injury on my left, in my left leg. Like I had a hematoma size of a basketball. I couldn't feel my legs. Um, I had, uh, drop foot in both feet they knew that while i was in a coma mm-hmm. so they knew i had no feeling in my legs what was the hematoma from from laying on my side so so what they decided because of the nature of the hematoma how large it was and with me not being able to feel my, i mean they could have stuck needles in my legs my feet it was like i was paralyzed it was like i had a spinal cord injury wow um, so from all that, they're like, he must, you had to have gone to that bathroom floor, like really early in the night. And then you laid on that side all night. Wow. Ended up with a blood clot in the left leg because I laid there so long on it. Um, so it really sucked because, uh, well, first of all, I woke up, I was pissed. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I was pissed pissed sure that i was alive sure um 
I was just like trying to negotiate with them to just let me go. Obviously, they're not going to do it. <laughs> and I wasn't even, I guess I hallucinated for a long time. I, I didn't know this, but you take that much Benadryl, it will cause you to hallucinate. So I was hallucinating, seeing stuff. Um, well, not to mention everything else you had. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting combination. So they, once I was good enough to not need medical care, they sent me to the psych ward there at their hospital. And I was in there for several days. Um, do you guys have a Kleenex? It's Doing a hip pause? Yeah, we're good. Okay. I'll survive. So, um, yeah, so I'm in the psych hospital, um, and I was back on my game trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And tr- But it was different. <laughs> Because I was almost dead a few days before <laughs> in a coma, and so there was no... They weren't believing your the, BS. Yeah, there was no, like... <laughs> that was a bad moment. Yeah, yeah. Just had a couple too many drinks and made a bad decision. Right. So I thought I was going to be in there for... Literally, I was envisioning, like, months. I'm I think sure. I was only in there a week, which wow. is shocking. They released me, and I flew back to Kansas City and started... I had to have a counselor lined up who I was seeing. Um, oh, and during this time, I had found out um, that my wife had moved back to Michigan with my son. Oh, wow. So. And your son was how old at that time? Uh, he would have been like four. Oh, young. Yeah. So, I yeah, I just... Started going to counseling every day in Kansas City, uh, going to rehab, trying to learn to walk again. I was having a walk with a walker. Um, I did start, because right when I woke up, like I told you, I could not walk. I couldn't feel anything. And within a few days, it started to come back. But it was like the the drop foot was so bad that I had to have a brace to keep my foot, you know, straight, straight. and level. Um, and I spent months just trying to get my life back together and get my family back and um it was not easy no not easy you know when we first talked on the phone you said something about um that night when you made the decision to actually you know take all those pills that you said it was like you were out of your body like you weren't yourself yeah Mm -hmm. and and i thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. um because you were like almost like you were watching yourself do all this yeah it so you know i had a friend um recently he's a he he's the friend that was at the hospital with me he's a friend that picked me up the first time i went to the psych place mm-hmm. he's my best friend who uh killed him he killed himself a few months ago and um you know i had to speak at his funeral and i tried to explain to him like that wasn't him Mm-mm. i don't know how to explain it He didn't make that decision, even though I know he did it. I did it. It's, but there's something that just takes over that it's like fight or flight. And it's just telling you, you have got to just get out. You've got to end it. Basically, you're, I almost, I, not 
fleeing but fighting and my fight was just to end it sure but yeah i don't i can remember taking the pills like not wanting to take them Mm -hmm. it's like something took over me wow and i have no answer i don't have the magic answer how to get an officer to ask for help I was told about you. I know. I was called about you so many times. <laughs> I can't tell you. I even reached out to you. I don't know if you remember that. Uh-uh. Yeah, I called you at some Did we point. talk? We did, and I told you. I couldn't get you to really talk, but I tried to get you to come to the house. And I don't remember. I, I, I knew you were giving me the right answer, but you weren't going to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. you really can't make anybody. They, they right. have to want that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit, but yeah, I don't, I have fought hard to figure out how do we get an officer to ask for help? Well, I think the first part is, and again, this is our big push around the country, is it can't just be peer support in the license world. Those work for some, but they don't work for most, so there's got to be a safer place. And that's what the stress coaching is, is when people can reach out for help, even early on, and it's safe. They don't have to worry about their departments finding out or their guns being taken or, you know, because one of the things we've been shocked in, or I've been shocked in the last six months to a year to find out is that when that national suicide hotline, um, if somebody calls that who's a cop, they'll send people to do welfare checks. Y'all used to do them. Yeah. I, I've had officers mm-hmm. say, yeah, we've gone oh, yeah. to people's homes yep. because the National Suicide Hotline called us and said. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the worst thing that could happen, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be some safety in first recognizing that you can ask for the help. And I don't have to worry that somebody's going to call my department or come take my gun and my badge. And sadly, we were talking to the psychologist we refer everybody to um, the other day. And there has to be uh, an understanding of the lifestyle, first of all, and not this concept of I need to save their life, screw their job, because that's the thing, like for Chris Ferrara, that was probably the one thing that kept Chris from doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's the case with a lot of officers. Right. And so there's got to be more resources that they can safely ask and realize this isn't mental illness you know can we put you in a dsm sure but everybody at this table's in the dsm i'll claim the (laughs) math disorder um (laughs) i wish they'd had that when i was in college because maybe i'd have whipped that one out every time (laughs) that one in reading probably but um but there has to be a, a level of understanding you guys are out of the box we can't put you in the box and the license world wants to put you in that box that fits everything in the DSM. Um, we got to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. That these are people we have not trained properly in the beginning to deal with the things that they're going to see and right. hear in the job and have happen. And we got to have better resources for an injured officer. Right. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a retired lieutenant out of Las Vegas Metro. Uh, Randy Sutton started something called Wounded Blue. And it is all about helping the officers who've been injured. And the departments have kind of set them aside or pushed them aside or medically retired them. That isn't the way anybody – nobody comes into this going, gosh, I hope I get hurt and get to medically retire. Mm -hmm. And we've had officers – one of ours in Alabama got shot pursuing a meth lab. 
uh, the people jumped in the truck and took off with it, and he got shot through the windshield, and it tunneled around his head and caused a traumatic brain injury. But it wasn't a to talk to him, you'd never know there's anything wrong. But if you're talking to him and somebody else walks up, he completely loses the person he's talking to and talks to the new person, so he couldn't be a cop, obviously. Couldn't be a dispatcher. Um, But literally, the department gave him one year and then literally kicked him to the curb, Mm. fired him, Hmm. and said, that's it. Sorry. (laughs) You can't come back to work. you got to go. Well, and just like you, I mean, you had that perfect storm brewing. You got injured at work, and and so – you're on medication, which isn't helping you you mentally, mm-hmm. right. but you also are, are realizing I'm not invincible. And then, you know, you're going to be medically retired, and and you're losing that career, that job that means a lot to you, that's fun, exciting, and it's it becomes part of who you are. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it it takes such a big part of your life over, mm-hmm. and now you're losing that too. Yeah. Was the marriage already in trouble before the fall? No. Not at all. Even well, looking back on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Not. No. I mean. Okay. Not at all. Thought it was good. Because a lot of times that it, it is just because of the lifestyle anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then it's really easy for it to fall apart when right. yeah something else happens. Yeah. No, it was good before that. But it's got to be guys like like you and Tom and and Joel here also who can talk to kids of cops. Mm-hmm. Because who else is going to understand what the kids go through? Right. Who else is going to understand but for you guys and the stuff you've seen and the stuff mm-hmm. you've done and been exposed to? Because everybody's isn't going to be an on-the-job injury. Right. Like yours, it's going to be what we call a psychological traumatic brain injury Right. from everything they've seen and done. Yeah. And yours may have been compounded yeah. by all of that. Just because it's fun doesn't mean it doesn't impact you. You know, I had a, a phone call this morning, a little after five, a friend of mine from work um, that reached out because he's struggling. He's having a hard time. And and, and it's a, a big marriage issue, you know, that's going on with him. Mm-hmm. But it didn't just happen because of the marriage issue. Right. You know, it's and – I, and I don't think he even realizes that yet, that the problems that started his marriage going down the road probably stem a lot from – He's been a, an officer for a long time. Sure. You know, I mean, he's at his 20. Sure. So that those issues, I'm sure, from work created a lot of his marriage issues. And it's like you and I've seen couples in here that we just even start talking to him about communication. Right. The cop thinks he's saying all the right stuff to his wife and it ain't the right stuff at all. Right. It's not what she needs to hear because nobody's taught you all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you talk to people on the job one way but you talk to your families a lot of times the same way yeah. and don't even realize it yeah. and so you know we've got to make it safe first we have to do better training up front you got to prepare people for it and have people like yourself get up and talk about what the job can do mm-hmm. whether it came from a on-the-job injury or it came from other stuff um, it's like mark valenzuela's part in our training he talks about what happens the aftermath of a shooting and we point out some of the unique parts of that. we got to do a better job teaching people up front. If we're going to train you to be problem solvers, we got to teach you you're not going to solve everybody's problem. Mm-hmm. And then we got to teach you what can happen when you feel bad about not solving 
some people's problems, the innocence, the children, yeah. the domestic violence, the women who get killed, that if maybe if you'd been there five right. minutes earlier in your head, mm-hmm. uh, this I could have prevented this. All this stuff starts to weigh on you. Yeah. And you can't help but wonder if all of that stuff that you did for all those years prior to the injury wouldn't have made it a, the injury itself and what you had to deal with maybe easier. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I that, know it changes your body. Yes. Right. And I'll give you an example. Here's why I say it. Um, would have been 29, February 29, 2020. Uh, I go to my daughter's soccer game. Uh, my wife's back. We, you know, gone through count, worked it all out. She moved back to Arizona. Everything's going good. We go to the soccer game. We're walking up to the soccer field, and I feel a bubble pop in my chest. Wow. And that's literally what it felt like. It wasn't painful. It just felt like an air bubble popped. And I couldn't breathe. And we get over to the soccer field. My wife is sitting next to me. My son's in her lap. My ex-wife's next to them. And then her husband next to her. I'm standing with a camera. Mm-hmm. And I text my wife. I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Who's sitting next to Who's sitting right beside me. She's looking up. I'm holding the camera, taking pictures like, you're full of shit. He's (laughs) self-diagnosing. Here we go. (laughs) Let's see if I can smile at the camera. It's not a stroke. Right. That's what crazy fool here is. So she texts back. The reason I text her, I didn't want to say this from myself. Right. Right. She texts back, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, do we need to go to the hospital? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Like, just give me a minute to – because I'm like, am I having anxiety? Right. You know, I couldn't figure – have no idea what it is yeah you know something's going on Uh and the breathing's getting worse and worse and worse and i finally said we got to go to the hospital now i think i'm having a heart attack so we start walking back to my truck because we're an hour north of chandler and i'm like being a man like we need to get back to chandler because if i this is what it is you're gonna have to come see me help me out every day and i could I didn't make it to the truck. They had to call an ambulance. Wow. So they take me to the hospital. Uh, and this is a really important story. It's a bit off topic with uh, suicide and stuff. But I know that uh, we actually did a news story on this, and I know it saved some lives across the entire world. I had people from Australia and stuff reach out to me. But um, I got to the hospital at like 9 a.m. I passed every test they give you, EKGs, echoes, whatever, blood work. They're like, you're having anxiety. I'm like, I'm telling you, this is not anxiety. I convinced the ER, the heart doc was going to send me home. Two peas in a pod yeah, sitting right? here at the table. I, I, I have experienced the same exact thing, man. Only he was in Home Depot or Lowe's or something. <laughs> so the heart doctor's like, yeah, I'm going to send you home. And I finally convinced the ER doc that I'm confident it's a heart attack. And he's like, dude. And I told him about my family history. He's like, I don't feel comfortable. I'm going to keep you for observation. So 6 o'clock that night. Oh, and mind you, every time I would have chest pain and couldn't breathe, they would give me um, nitro. Nitro. Mm -hmm. And it helped. Yep. I could totally breathe again. Same here. You're covered. Tom's got the nitro in case you need it. Yeah. And I'm like. I'm it nitro would do nothing if if, if it, I wasn't having a heart attack. That was right. what I was thinking too. Yep. Yeah. So six o'clock, I feel like I'm having another heart attack. Breathing goes away again. I can't breathe. I'm having this pressure. And I hit the call button and the nurse comes in. And he goes, "Dude, 
we because they did my blood work again later that night. He goes, dude, you're well, you're going to ICU right now. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you're having a heart issue. So they take, no kidding. They take me up to ICU, and I'm like, sweet, do I get to go to the cath lab now? And they're like, ah, oh, we called the heart doctor. He's going to wait till eight o'clock in the morning, but you'll be the first patient. I'm like, well, hell, I hope I make it. Because <laughs> they're feeding me nitro. Yep. They're giving me nitro through an IV, and they put a nitro patch on me. Wow. So they take me in at 8 o'clock in the morning. The right side of my heart was 100% blocked in two spots. Jeez. So if they would have sent me home, I would have died that night at home. Yeah. 100%. Yep. So I reached out to Heart Fit for Duty. And they did a story, and so this is getting back to where I say the job changes our bodies physically. Mm-hmm. Sure. Our firemen, the first responders, uh, my our hearts grow extra, like learns I guess to grow extra veins and mm-hmm. stuff in it, mm-hmm. uh, because you know one second we're going to this nasty call, and the next minute we're eating a hamburger somewhere. Yep. You know? um, and she said that's what kept me alive um because had i had not had that extra way to circulate blood things yeah things would have been different so number one if you're listening especially if you're in arizona reach out to heart for heart fit for duty and get checked but no matter where you're at don't ever brush it off nope you got to be your own advocate in the medical field now (laughs) But that was proof to me that the job does change our mm-hmm. bodies physically. Let me ask you, did you have low testosterone by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> how, how early were you diagnosed with that? Uh, oh, it was after the heart attack. But so, two so it could ago. have been so it could have been even prior to because you mm-hmm. hadn't had it checked. Oh yeah, no, it was yeah. totally. Please, if you're listening, get your testosterone checked, and not just by a medical doctor. Get it tested by somebody who knows hormones right because the it, it's scaled by age mm-hmm. it's not just a single number yep and you got to have somebody who knows what they're right. talking about because we do believe and heart fit for duty is another one that there is a strong correlation between adrenal fatigue low testosterone and heart conditions because mm-hmm. yep. yeah. testosterone's in your body for your heart yeah. for your muscle yeah and testosterone is good for you yes. if it's used properly. And, and I want to make that clear yes. because a lot of people steer clear of it because they just think steroids. Right. Right. And this minute they hear that, they're like, well, that's bad for your heart. Yeah. That's right. bad. They're going to be liver. raging and yeah. all this other stuff. No, no, no. They're getting you back to a level that's normal. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's the key. And that's why it's got to be somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in the pellets, the bioidentical. Yeah. It's really easy. You men have it really easy. Only you have to do it every six months. Women have to do it every three. Mm-hmm. And it's a five-minute little in and out, and you're done and good to go. Well, and that's a good point. Women, too, yes. need sometimes need that testosterone testosterone replacement. Yes. So it's not just men. No. Right. And that's no. another misconception that people don't understand. Oh, I've been accused of having more testosterone than all you men at Channel <laughs> Police Department put together. And there was a time that would have been a true statement. And, uh, no, I've had to do the pellets for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it's the best thing. It gives you energy. There's, there's a whole lot of factors people don't realize. Mm-hmm. But, again, make sure it's done by somebody reputable, not somebody that's just going to tell you stick a needle in yourself once right. a week or once a day or whatever. Right. And um, it, it, that is too important. Yeah. No, totally. 
Yeah, so sorry, I mean, I kind of got off topic there. No, but, but it's, it's important all part to of it. show right. how right. the body changes yes. because of our job. And so, you know, with, with the PT, I mean, you, like my memory now is horrible, mm-hmm. horrible. If I have something the next day going on, I tell my wife before bed, I say, hey, you know, I got this doctor's appointment tomorrow at noon or whatever. I'm like, I need you to come to me, to my face and say, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have your doctor's appointment. Uh, but it's, and I, I, I think it's from all the PTSD. I, all those years of, I don't know if it's suppressing the memories. Uh, you could probably can. answer that. But. It's the psychological garbage yeah. can we talk about. And, and here's why the whole heart thing and all that testosterone and everything is important. The brain controls the body, but how the body feels impacts what the brain thinks, which then becomes a negative feedback. Yeah. And so when there's low testosterone, adrenal fatigue, uh, heart condition, whatever's going on, sleep deprived, all of those kinds of things, it's going to feed to the brain very negatively. Mm-hmm. And it's going to then take something even small mm-hmm. and make it something big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the whole thing with Chris Ferrar, even and in, in the officers that come to us who are suicidal. Because they can come to us and we don't report to anybody, mm-hmm. but we make sure their vitamins are up to date and their minerals and their sleep. Sleep is the vital part. Mm-hmm. And then giving them a chance to do what some officers have referred to in the past is verbally vomit. <laughs> right. Whatever. Y'all do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, but empty that garbage can and talk about Because really, who were you talking to when all this? Probably nobody. Because yeah, yeah. you didn't want anybody to know you were using these pills. And yeah. You, that so, you're broken. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Tom and I talked. This is another good example. So when I was at Ben's funeral, I everyone, I was the last person to speak. So, you know, family were going, and they were like, everything they would say was, Ben just took care of everything. Ben was our rock. Mm-hmm. If we needed this, we went to Ben. We went mm-hmm. to Ben. We went to Ben. We went to Ben. And I, it hit me, and I told Tom this on the phone. It hit me. Who did Ben go to? While I was listening holy shit he yeah he couldn't take it anymore sure. and when finally when he had started having whatever issues he was having he couldn't because he was everybody came to him who's right. he gonna go to was he a law enforcement officer yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah he and so. i were partners together in chandler when i say partners beat partners you know so yeah. we were working together every night and uh he was involved in a shooting which is once that shooting went down, I was working that night, and um, it was, yeah, you know, a bad night. Uh, you know, he survived, but um, that started his path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and Ben, Ben and I were a lot alike. Like I'm so wildly different now. I was the class clown 24 seven. So was Ben. Sure. We cutting up and briefing. I was never negative at work. Like I'm like, we got to make this fun. This job is rough. <laughs> so I was the one always cutting up. Ben was always cut. I mean, people thought we were brothers. He's the exact same size as me. Has a, you know, once we retired, we both grew beard. We everywhere we went, they thought we were brothers. Right. So, yeah, and we well, had a front to put up. Right. That's what you were doing. Yeah. You were putting the front up. Yeah. And that's that is what is gonna make the difference for officers to reach out. They gotta let the front down in front of somebody. Yeah. They're not gonna do it in front of the license world. They're not gonna do it the way peer support is done here because it's in house. Right. If the peers were different parts of the state, like we do in Alabama, you you may have opened up to a cop out of Tucson or Yuma or 
Flagstaff or somewhere else because you're not going to be working with them. Mm-hmm. And especially if they could sit in front of you and say, I've been in a similar place. It doesn't have to be the exact same place. Right. But to say, yeah, I've, I've hit that point. Wife's leaving, got the kids. Uh, you know, I'm on pills. All been these arrested. Things. Yes, exactly. I'm now a criminal. Yeah. You know. Well, it's like Tom shares a story yes. out of his garbage can. And uh, we were with Border Patrol uh, two weeks ago in San Diego and in Yuma, and, and Tom's telling his story, and he's very emotional about it. And I stopped him at one point, and I asked class, I said, anybody lose respect for this man standing up here? And they're like, every one of them, no. And I said, that's the whole point, guys. Nobody's going to lose respect right. for you either mm-hmm. if you'll reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fear that we have that something – we're going to be looked at negatively or we're going to lose our job by reaching out. That's it. It's just pure fear. That's that's really yeah. why we don't reach out. Yeah. And we're not even we're not even man enough to admit that to ourselves. Right. You know. Well, cuz there's too much danger of losing right. the career and family not having right. financial support. You can you can rationalize <clears throat> a lot of yeah. stuff. It's not hard to reach out. It's hard to overcome that fear to reach out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why the phone calls should only be one call cuz you'll never get them to make 3 right. or 4 or 5. Exactly. And that's what's happening nowadays. They're calling their EAPs and people are either because of COVID no longer providing the services. Mm-hmm. Or you have to leave a message, and they'll call you back for weeks on end. And then they can't see you for two months or something. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I understand they're overworked. I get it. Um, But when we can do it in as quick a time as we do, and it's just a few of us here, and we have people calling from all over the country, um, you know, maybe 9 to 5 isn't Monday through Friday and what the mental health need to be doing that work with this industry. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Your jobs aren't nine to. Five. I told somebody the other day. I said, as soon as y'all start working nine to five Monday through Friday, I get to work nine to five Monday through Friday. Yeah. So in other words, it ain't going to happen. Right? Yeah. No, it's true. And that's why it's important for you to share your story, because again, I guarantee you, there's going to be at least one. Yeah. Listening to this, I hope, because it took a lot to. I mean, it's you know, not I was, easy. I was telling my wife before I came here, like, you know, we're in a new state. Mm-hmm. Our, our neighbors when we left here everybody knew our dirty laundry sure so we're back there nobody knows shit about us and right. what happened and now they're all going to listen to this and, and you know I, I was really nervous about it sure um you know the thing one of the things that drives me crazy the most is the night that i assaulted her mm-hmm. and threatened her um, you know, I, it wasn't, I, I've said it over and over. It wasn't me. Um, I regret it, but I, I was so nervous about being, but I'm just like, you know, I got to let that go Sure. Mm-hmm. Be, because that wasn't me. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And if this will help someone, and I hope anybody that's listening can call me anytime Absolutely. You're going to be one of our stress coaches. We've already talked. <laughs> he said you'd already talked to him about it, too. So. Uh, you know, well, it's like now, you know, so I the charges, I ended up getting the charges. They dropped them. Sure. Um, I got my gun rights back. But it's little things like I'm afraid to carry my gun off duty now because I, how do I know that's out of the city? Like if they run my driver's license. Right. Is it going to still? Because they never clear that crap out of there. Right. Even the judge. Once they dropped everything, said keep this letter from the courts because yep. I'm telling you right now it'll get lost in the mud somewhere. Yep. And if you get pulled over down the road yep. and you've got a gun on you, yep, 
And I'm just like, so I don't even carry anymore half the time. Well, unfortunately, you're not in a place that you arrested many because right. as a deputy, are you in the same county you were in where you had worked as a deputy? Yeah. Well, now I'm not, but right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it'd be different if you were here in Chandler right. or close by because, yeah. again, the criminal element that you've arrested doesn't care if you're still a cop. Or right, not. exactly. They right. don't go, oh, well, yeah. he's no longer a cop, so we don't have to do anything. Yeah. They don't care. Well, just going hunting makes me nervous. Sure. I go hunting with my cousins, and I'm like, and I know it'll all work out because, I, like I said, I have all my rights back, but will that show up? Sure. And if it doesn't, then I get arrested. And of course, it, it all get dropped once I go to court and show but them everything. But you know still, what I mean? Right. It's I wish like I could reach out to the ATF or or somebody, whoever FBI, whoever monitors that, and find because like I'd love to go buy a gun. Sure. On the on the form though, it says, "Have you ever been convicted of domestic violence?" Right. But you haven't been convicted. Well, you're arrested, but not. Convicted. I pled to threatening her. Okay. I pled guilty, so technically I was convicted, but then I went through their probation and all that, mm-hmm. and then they dropped it. Mm-hmm. So that, but that's my point. Right. It's like it's been there are gray areas of this. So whole am thing. I supposed right. yeah. to answer when I go in? Right. Yes. Right. Because I don't want to lie. Right. And yes, that'll probably delay me getting to go. I'll probably have to investigate, and make sure that yes, he does. Or am I supposed to say no? But I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's a nightmare. Sure. And I put myself in that situation. Well, and you have to remember, too, this is still early on for you. We're, we're not that many years yeah, out. no, it is. And some of that stuff will take care of itself. But justifiably, you're still kind of paranoid. Yeah. And I think anybody mm-hmm. would be. Right. Heck, I'm paranoid when I go to buy a gun, and I haven't done anything wrong, but you never know what's going to pop up in there <laughs> yeah. anyway. Because you crazy fools could have put all kind of things in the system. Right. I have no idea yeah. which y'all's listed. Let's screw with her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think that with time and distance. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me, though, is I know for a fact that some of the officers at Chandler, some retired, probably some that are still there, that you're still good friends with nobody nobody has judged you that i know of nobody yeah. worth anything anyway yeah. um has really judged you for all of this because i think every one of them probably looked at you and said but for the grace of god there go i yeah right yeah so i started to say that earlier when i was handcuffed by my buddy um i honest to god had not talked to him until three months ago at ben's funeral mm-hmm. and uh i sent him a text i said man it's really good to see you and I said, I'm really sorry that I put you in that position. And he's like, dude, he goes, I, he goes, I haven't reached out. He goes, I should have reached out, but I just thought you hated me. That's the thing. And I thought he hated me because exactly. I thought they were all <laughs> exactly. Well, I thought right. they were all judging me. Sure, yeah. sure. Because I did do something stupid. And um, he said, this was his words to me. He's like, and this. I obviously I've always known the suicide thing was serious. I was in a coma, but his words, he goes, "When I got the call, that they revived you," mm-hmm. and that like just struck a chord, you know. Sure. And, but he was so he's like I was so thankful. Yeah. So, I mean, we make mistakes, I guess. And hey, let me let you in on a little secret. <laughs> You're human. Yeah. Every one of you out there in law enforcement and firefighters and military, guys, you're human beings. And when we don't prepare human beings to do what y'all have to do, that's a failure of the system. 
that's a failure of the academies. Mm-hmm. They're still teaching old stuff. We we beat this dead horse all the time. They're still teaching stupid stuff like keep personal and professional separate. Really? And we wonder why divorce rates are what they are. I'm telling you, that's a lot of it. Yeah. Um, we don't train families who can be your biggest stressor or biggest stress reliever. We, we don't know. We see early warning signs, but we don't know who to call. Right. Um, what, are we, what, are, what are they supposed to do with that information? This is kind of stuff that I need to be in front of Congress over. Going, you want me, you want me to tell you what the problem in law enforcement is today? I'll give it to you right here. Lack of proper training and including families in it and training supervisors. The three things we have tried to do around this country and offer it for free and still can't get in there. I mean, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's not preparing you. We would never just hand you a gun and go, here's the front end, here's the back end, here's the trigger, um, here's where you load the magazine. Now go figure it out. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do for the lifestyle. Right. Here it is. Here's who you are. We're going to train you to do all this stuff on the professional side. And personally, y'all just figure it out. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, because nobody told us what it's going to be like after we've been doing this for four, five, six, 27 years. Yeah. You know, and how all that crap that we've seen and dealt with, how that affects us. Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody talks about that. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's true. And like you said, our families have no idea. I remember one time I was on um, a... well, was, someone had died in a park. I don't even know what they died from, but I was waiting on the coroner's office. Been there for hours. I'm starving. Mm-hmm. I was dating my wife at the time, and I'm like, "Hey, can you bring me bring me some food? I'm starving, right?" <laughs> I got this dead body. Can't <laughs> yeah. leave. Yeah. Well, and I didn't I'm tell. Stuck here. I didn't tell her that part. I wasn't even planning on telling her that part. Uh, but as she showed up, it just timing. <laughs> Because you never know when the medical right. the medical examiner they're on their own crap, and yeah. we'd already been waiting forever. <laughs> well, they're hauling the body out, right? As she's bringing me my <laughs> food. <laughs> but my point is, she she walked away from that going, "Holy shit!" Yeah, and that's just one. Like right. we do exactly. that a gazillion times, and, and you weren't even thinking that that was a big deal. No, when you're calling her to ask her to bring right. food. Yeah, because so, you've done it so many times, it's like. Okay, it's another body. Yeah. And not that we need to be training them to the point where we're telling them every darn thing we've ever seen. But we've got to – they need the help. They need to understand what we're – when we get home, like maybe what we've been through, you know. Right. The baby that we pull out of the pool that we did CPR on until fire got there. Yep. And the key is they get to decide how much information, not you. Mm -hmm. Because you change the dynamic of your relationship admirably – I don't want to tell them all the details. They may need all the details. That's a good point. Because we have seen it in here where y'all don't like it when you find out <laughs> the wife ain't telling you everything about her job. Yeah. Y'all kind of get a little, what do you mean? Yeah. You, yeah. You're not telling what me what? What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And again, it's admirable, but we're adults. We're, we're your partners. We're on the same team together. We're not opponents mm. in opposition. Let us say that's more than I need to know. And if there's a spouse out there who says, I don't want to hear anything about my husband's job in law enforcement or fire, then you married the wrong person because that will never be healthy, ever. Again, you don't have to hear about the blood and guts, but you better be ready to hear some of the stuff because you're never going to understand his or her mood. Right. And it will always feel like it's something we've done. Yeah, if if you can't talk to your spouse about the emotional effects of – of what that job's doing to you. Yep. It, 
that's a marriage doomed. Yep, mm-hmm. you might as well get the lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. And it could all I'm not going to say all because there is no there are no absolutes. But so much of what we see here uh, at Under the Shield, and I've seen for 30 years, could be prevented through training. And we have a meeting this coming week with Maricopa County Sheriff's Office for the hundred billionth time. But whatever, <laughs> we'll try again. But our whole push isn't the stress coaching. Our whole push is training from new recruits to in-service to supervisor training. Mm -hmm. And it has to be hammered in. It's as important as firearms training is, Mm -hmm. which you get what? You have to recall every, what do they do out here, six months? Yeah. So twice twice a year, year, which I think is is not enough, but just personal opinion. Um, But we don't do anything on the family side of this uh, or the garbage can side of this ever, uh, unless they bring us in. Border Patrol, we got a really give them credit because san diego has brought us in numerous times at their sector yuma has had me in there for years in their sector because they do see the significant haida here brings us in for supervisor and the other training with spouses um they're those groups are trying everybody ought to be trying Mm -hmm. what is your opinion on uh the fire departments back in kansas and they may do it here i don't know but we after you go on a just a bad call Mm -hmm. there there's always there was always a debrief Mm -hmm. the problem is we've never done that at the police department well chandler does do it after well when i was there we didn't well no they did after um an officer was killed in the line of duty okay they would do that um but again it's in-house yeah but so that's my point like is that that doesn't work yeah it's not doesn't work you could sit there and talk for an hour as a group but i just feel like i so my point is i think they feel like they're doing the right they thing, do. but it's uh, it's not enough. Right. Well, the problem is, is again, when it's in-house, first of all, who wasn't affected by Dave Payne's death, right, followed what within 48 hours mm-hmm. of Holmes's death? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everybody's affected. Right. But if you could have brought peer support people out of Glendale, Peoria, Buckeye, someplace in the West Valley, even Phoenix even, of people that really have experienced loss, especially in the line of duty, um, that that changes the dynamic because guess what? Now it's not just Chandler. Now we're realizing Phoenix officers have lost and they experience the same stuff we experience or Glendale or whoever. Um, it's got to be broader than what we're doing on this in-house and too many of them on the in-house peer support in most of the departments virtually don't really have much experience mm-hmm. to, of any kind. The training's not enough. You, you can't just get training. Right. You your peer yeah. support. It, it doesn't do justice, that's no. for sure. And so when it can come from other places, but again, they have been taught wrong um, for the most part. There's a 72-hour hard, fast rule, which is not a rule. It's a guideline. So it's just like in the Pueblo shooting yeah. with Dan. Uh, the debriefing was held, but Pueblo was still in – maybe even in intensive care. Right. He was in the hospital for sure. Yeah. Well, he didn't go, obviously. So Dan didn't want to go. So the two officers involved in it never got debriefed, uh. but everybody else got debriefed. <laughs> and I have screamed about this around the Valley, but that's how it's being taught here. Same thing happened over in the West Valley. Avondale had an officer hurt really bad. The guy that they were chasing T-boned him. He got stuck in the car. The officers really thought he was dying. They said they could hear the, what is the breathing? Yeah. 
and agonal, um, breathing. agonal breathing and then the guy that that was on there I, I don't know uh almost vicat team whatever they called it shot the guy well he was on vacation during the debriefing the officer that was injured was still in the hospital so guess who never got debriefed i mean it's crazy <laughs> it, 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 this is common sense yeah. because they had to do it in 72 hours that's preferable but when you ain't got the people involved no yeah and so it it's just really screwed up and it's being taught by somebody with a fire background fire can do that because you work the same shifts you go back to the firehouse everybody's there Mm -hmm. but when you start involving law enforcement you're going to have in chris ferrar's case you had pinnell county you had gilbert you had chandler i'm sure mcso Mm -hmm. was in there somewhere state troopers were in there Mm -hmm. how many times you think you're going to get those people together once if you're lucky right so you better do what you got to do but they want to do a diffusing and then they want to bring them all back together later and do a debrief do the damn debriefing people get it done right mm-hmm. but that and they were they do it before in a line of duty death it should never be done till after the officer's buried there's too much emphasis on taking care of the family honor guard staying with the body all that stuff let people's natural abilities to heal mm-hmm. happen then after the funeral you get everybody together and do the debriefing how's everybody doing it's just it's crazy but what do i know i've just been doing this 30 years yeah um but yeah it's very frustrating to me because i know these people have good intentions but when training isn't proper you're not going to do it right right that's all there is to it well and it's wild when they take your gun and badge away yes i mean that is very personal Mm -hmm. sure you earned that thing i I know that civilians don't understand what I'm saying right now. They don't. But that is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because when my ex was in the academy for DEA, and I remember um, that one of the guys in the in his class was either engaged. Yeah, they were engaged. He was from the Chicago area, if I remember correctly. And he got back after training, and they were sending him to Marathon, Florida. And the fiance was like, nobody tell me that. So, you know, (laughs) if if you want me, then you're going to have to stay here. And he said he looked at that gold badge and he went, yeah, a lot of hours and sweat and tears went into this. I can get a new woman and literally left her to go do the job. (laughs) So when you think about really, y'all, it it isn't like you just do a couple of days and they hand you this badge. You you go through a whole lot of stuff. And you gain a lot of identity. Mm-hmm. The gun just comes along with the badge. And then we take that from you. What do I have? Really? That I mean, look at the authority given with that. You can't it's go huge. out and be an accountant and have that authority. No. You There's nothing else you can go out and do. And when you lose it as a city officer, that's taken. You can't be county. You can't be federal. You can't be state that's huge mm-hmm. people don't realize that yeah i don't even think people in law enforcement realize it no not till so. it happens right. to them yeah no or, I would or happens to somebody that's close to yeah. them no, and I they agree. see wow yes. this is yes yeah. and that again that's why we call ourselves educators not therapists i'm not here to how does that make you feel and thank you for sharing that with me and yeah. that kind of I, i'm here to help mm-hmm. and that's to educate you and get you physiologically in balance and then the psychological will get better. Mm-hmm. We've seen it too many times. But it's 
it's an uphill battle. I'll just tell you, it's been a fight. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you said that because it is important. Um, you know, when I sit here and still ask myself, what, how do we stop it? How do we fix it? What's the answer? Like you said, it's, and I'm, I mean, you can see I'm not the healthiest person. I'm overweight. Um, yeah, we have to get all that stuff like, like we, we need to be eating right. We need to be taking the correct supplements, which yes. I know you guys have done a podcast on, and probably it's probably on your website. I don't. Maybe I'm speaking out of place. I don't know, but not on our website, but it's definitely our training. They can call. Yeah. They yeah. can get yes. the info. Is what I'm saying. And ha- that's on what our what training supplements, is. The sleep. Yes. And that is my number one thing right now. I still can't figure. But I did listen to the podcast where you guys said wear the the face mask the or mask. the mask over your eye, and I've started doing that. Uh, I woke up at like Grossman would be proud. <laughs> I woke up at like six Darn o'clock him. in the yeah. I woke up at like six a.m. and I was like, and the sun was coming through, and I must had, I don't know if, if I had taken off without realizing whatever, and I put that thing on. I went back to sleep for five hours. <laughs> I'm telling you, the retinas send a lot of messages, and yeah. one of them is your internal clock. Yeah. It says it's time to get up or it's time to go to yeah. sleep. But that's. You know, those are, I mean, I'm working on the the weight loss thing uh, as we speak. Um, I'm trying to get my sleep dialed in. Uh, That's a hard one for me. Yeah, we got, have you given him all the stuff? No, but we'll, we're going to go do lunch today. So So you're going to get a list of things you need to order on Amazon. Yeah. And again, for anyone out there listening, call us. Yes. You know, there are questions we have to ask. That's why we don't just put it out here. Right. We put it out in our trainings. We explain it. We show them which ones we've researched that we don't get kickbacks from. We should. <laughs> Boy, the money that these companies owe us for promoting their products. There you but go. um but you know, there are things that come in with it, which is why we don't just put it out on the podcast necessarily brand wise and that kind of right. stuff. But right. Um, you'll have all that before you leave here yeah and we know it works right we know it works Mm -hmm. and that's the important thing and so you know as we start to wrap this up i can't thank you enough adam for coming in because i'm telling you when all that was going on and officers were calling me about you and stuff i wouldn't have i wouldn't have bet you'd have been here yeah um it, it was i mean i could literally see it from what they're telling me him spiraling and going down the drain mm-hmm and it was a very helpless feeling for me um, because I really wanted to help. But until you were ready for that, I knew it was going to be a waste of your time and mine. Yeah. And so that's why we have so many different types of stress coaches. I'm not for everybody. I don't want – please, if you are management administrators out there and chiefs and whoever running these shows, <laughs> I would never have said I'm for everybody. I don't even want everybody. Exactly. Jeez. Um, but that's why we have so many different types, mm-hmm. from Chris Ferrara's mom to Joelle here to Becky's dispatch, Tom, mm-hmm. um, firefighters, uh, because out of all the stress coaches, there's got to be somebody right. that somebody can relate to. Man, what you're saying right now is so valuable, and it's so important. If you go meet with a counselor and it's not working, right? don't 
stop right. then. That's Go right. find another one. I cannot tell you how what you just said, how important that is. It is. Because there, are, there, there will be counselors that you may not hit it off with. That's right. But don't stop. Find, find somebody. Another, there yeah. is someone out there for you. Find a chaplain. And I, like I said earlier, I and I'm telling everybody that's listening, I am committed to helping. Good. Call in here. You guys know. You can give them my number. Yep. Reach out. Ask for help. Yes. Don't don't go down the road I went. Yeah. Don't. Well, that's why we have the phone system even set up like we do, that when somebody calls our 855 number that we'll give here again in just a minute, um, if they hit extension 1, we don't even have the phone number. We have the 855 number they've called. Mm-hmm. We don't even know where you are in the country. Mm-hmm. And if if I'm busy, it rolls to a stress coach in Alabama. If he's tied up on something, it rolls to Tom. You will get a stress coach. You're not going to get voicemail. You're going to get one of us. And it's important that we maintain the anonymity. People don't, in this industry have amazed, don't understand the difference of confidentiality and anonymity. Confidentiality is a legal term right. that licensed people have with restrictions there are times they can breach confidentiality legally and not lose their license i get it it's the way the system's set up and sometimes they have to absolutely right and that's why it's necessary to have people like us who do this anonymously we couldn't breach confidentiality if we wanted to nor are we going to and we haven't in 30 years Mm -hmm. that has been the foundation of under the shield since i started it in 1992 I want people to know that they can call here, come mm-hmm. to see us. No notes, no records. Families can call us. Uh, we will help you figure out the problem. We are not here to refer out some of the 800 numbers or referral resource people. Good for y'all. That's great. Uh, but the point is, is somebody's going to be on the other end of the phone to help. Mm-hmm. And we will talk to you. If we don't have the answers, we'll find the answers. And all of our stress coaches have been on the couch at some point and are wanting to give back. That's what it's about. Helping because they were in a dark place or not a great place and being able to get to a better place and helping others Mm -hmm. in the industry. It's cultural. Yeah. Well, and it's why I I became a cop was to help people. That's Mm -hmm. it. You know, and I lost that when I retired. Yes. And after talking to Tom, it's just like, like I feel rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really excited about this opportunity to help others. Great. Because that's how. I mean, that's like I said. That's why we became who we that's were it. because yeah. that's, we like that. Yes. And you know, but it would be so rewarding to now. Now, yeah, it's a different type of job now. But anyway, I would to me that's not even a job either. Right. And I'm right. sure that's how. You, like you probably love coming job. in here. It's you an probably, honor. Is all what of it you is. love it's coming never been in a here. Job. You don't feel like you're reporting to work. I don't work a day in my life yeah. and I haven't in 30 years. Yeah. And so that's how I feel about it. You know, and I've yeah. spent since my suicide attempt, I knew I wanted to, well, I didn't know right away, but I knew after a, a certain time that, man, I, I want to, I don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. Yeah. Do what I did. I mean, there is nothing you can't get through. That's I mean, right. I promise you. And now you couldn't have told me that. And so if if I tell someone it's possible and they tell me I'm crazy, I I understand why they're saying that. Sure. Because you can get so dark. Yes. You you don't believe anything. But it takes someone who's been in that dark place 
to be able to say, I get it. Yeah. Here's here's what you're thinking. Here's what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I was there. And then the, all they want to know is we, we had somebody in a training not too long ago who actually wrote on the evaluation at the end of the training that the training was timely because they had planned pretty much their death. And now they understood why they were feeling that way and they had the tools to help them get out of that dark place. Yeah. When a cop will write that, on, on, I mean, they didn't have to put their names on them, and I don't think they did, because uh-huh. it didn't matter who it was. It mattered that somebody was acknowledging that that was legit, and what we were teaching was changing their mindset. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. Yeah. And those are the ones, I promise you, if you don't have but one person call you in the next 20 years that you can help who's been in the same place you were, I'm telling you, it'll all be worth it. You you right. will be able to look at your dark time and say, I had to do that in order to help that person. Yeah. That's when the good you start to see the good from the bad. Right. And it is all used for good. It was just my path. Yes. Was, I guess went the way it was supposed to go for a reason. And Chris Farrar said the exact same thing. He didn't call me to tell me wake me up in the middle of the night like he was known for doing um but he didn't call me in the middle of the night tell me about the guy he chased three blocks and jumped off a fence and cuffed him he called to tell me about the suicidal people that he could sit on their bed and share his story even the civilians and see a change in them because he could use his story to help Mm -hmm. those were the things he was the most proud of yeah and it'll be the same for you right and i have no doubt sharing your story we will have somebody may take them a while right but they will reach out and yeah. they'll remember well this. who knows they may not listen to this podcast till a year from now Could maybe be. they don't even know the podcast right now in a year from now they hear it exactly right? like you don't absolutely. know absolutely you don't know when people are going to come across it but i know look i know we got to wrap this up but i i honestly i thank you guys very much for having me i really appreciate this opportunity um it was very it's very hard i'm still nervous about how this is all going to play out when they hear my pie hear what i had to say and my neighbor i'm like god what are my neighbors gonna say own it crazy own it you tell your story that's what i used to tell chris before he went back you tell your story don't let somebody else tell this your story yeah but there's nobody that knows you and and there are people out there again right now listening who don't know you who are not going to judge you for this because again it, this is this is courage here. Exactly. Telling this story. And we're honored to have you here and have you come down to be in studio with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Because this, this would have been a hard one to do over Zoom. Right. Yeah, we talked about it, and I was just like, man, this is – I, this has got to be in person. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. This is serious. It is. I mean, this is serious. This is, this like you said, we're repeating ourselves, but this could save someone's life. Yep. And the goal you is You know, it just one. wouldn't be as personal over Zoom. Right. Right. And again, the goal is one. Right. Because we don't know how many that one will help. Yeah. So thank you for coming this way. And thank I'm you. sure we'll have you on here again. And we'll be getting you trained as soon as we get another stress coach certification going. We'll try not to bring you back to Arizona in like June, July, August, <laughs> September when the weather really sucks. Um, but well, uh, I see what last night. Oh, it's nice. I was outside and I was like, it feels like 74. 
I looked, it was 94. Yeah. 94 here is wildly different than 94. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I thought it was 74. I know. And when it said 94, I was shocked. You're talking to a Southerner here. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Humidity, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Absolutely. I almost died when I walked off the plane <laughs> back in Kansas. I grew up in it. I didn't know any different. Oh, yeah. And then after being here for a while and yeah. going back, oh, I was like, oh, man, this no. is bad. Can't do it. <laughs> All right. Thank so you. So, again, well, thank you. And our number here at Under the Shield 24-7. 365 is 855-889-2348. Hit extension one, you will get one of our stress coaches, and we will have no information on you. Um, my personal cell is 334-324-3570. Best advice, text me during the daytime. Um, if you want to talk to me, call me at night, but always text during the daytime. I may not get to voicemail till late. This goes for all first responders, military, and families. And if you want to talk to me, my phone number is 480-861-6574. And if you call the crisis line for us, uh, just remember, if we get disconnected for whatever yes. reason, you have to call us back because we don't have your phone number. Yes. And uh, wasn't there something else we wanted to remind our audience about? But I think we've solved that problem on the website. Uh, the it, registration for softball tournament? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it, no, the, the one that said it was closed. Uh, but I well, think the, we've yeah, solved there is that problem. A, well, it's if you search under the shield, yep. Google for some reason got screwed up a little bit, and it was showing that we were uh, closed. It now has been showing that we're open twenty four seven. Yep. Um, the address is still wrong, but phone number's right. right the rest so. of it is right. Yeah, for some reason, it shows us at a golf course. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> That's only if we hire Dennis out. Cunningham. <laughs> Dennis will be on the golf yes, course. You'll have will. to reach him he there. He used to drag me yeah. out there. Anybody listening, also first responder, military, um, here in Arizona, we are doing our first annual Chris Ferrara softball tournament. Police, law enforcement versus fire should be really interesting. Yes. If you want to put a team together, it doesn't matter where. Heck, if you're out of state and you want to come in, we'll yeah, plug in too. Exactly. Uh, it's on our website. You can get on there and register. Uh, we'd love to have any of you. You just got to make sure you got to pick law enforcement or fire. And that'll be January 7th and 8th. Yes, here in Tempe. And um, you can call us if you want information or need anything for that. Thank you for the sacrifices all of you make, especially the families. That's something they never hear. I remember nobody ever really appreciated everything that I did and the kids did for those 20 years that Marshall was working holidays and everything else. Yeah. And uh, But we do appreciate you. Please call us here uh, anytime, day or night. And God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And next time, do we have a clue who our next one is? we got to stop these mystery guest things. It's, it's more fun that way. But if you have somebody that you would like <laughs> or think it would be a great podcast yeah. for us, reach out to us. Let us know because we want to know what you want to hear. Exactly. This is this is for all of you. So take care, stay safe, and we love you and we'll hope to have you back next